Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. We are going for part three on our teaching series today. It's my pleasure to lead you into this. I am Peter, um, part three. I am Peter. We're going to look at I am Peter the healer. Uh, but first of all, I want to just to, um, introduce you to um, one of my children who's not here today. He'll be glad to know. But this is one of my children. Do you know which one this is? No, it's not Levi, who's sitting at the back. Very glad it's not him. This is my oldest son, Zach. This is Zach, who is now, those of you who know Zach, he's now 18 and much taller than I and got lots of hair. Um, this is Zach riding his bike. Now, Zach being our firstborn, um, you know, uh, those moments you have with your firstborn are quite powerful. I remember when Lottie and I would try and persuade him to walk. And we do that thing where you hold their hands with your little fingers. They grasp you and you sort of just toddle them around the room, desperate for some reason. Desperate for them to walk. And then as soon as they can walk, you're desperate for them to stay put. And they do this kind of thing and, they, and off they go and they're walking. It's an amazing kind of, you feel like somehow you as a parent have achieved something. My child is walking. It's never happened before. Aren't I clever? Somehow like, wow, proud parents. I'm sure no child has ever walked like that child has just walked. But then comes the next one. That's the bike riding piece, which we have here. Zach upon his bike with stabilizers, you'll see in the corner. He was a bit of a late developer with cycling, shall we say. He liked cycling as long as I was holding the saddle. And the other parents done this before you're running along. <laughs> you know, and trying to, and they're like there. On the, and as soon as you let go, they panic and wobble and they fall over. But I remember the day when I pushed my son and I pretended I was holding the saddle. And he cycled all by himself without stabilizers. And when he realized, he's like, wow, dad, this is amazing. I'm doing it. I'm cycling. I'm all by myself. Dad, how do I stop? And he was brilliant at cycling, but he didn't know what brakes were for. And his method of stopping was he would just jump off the bike and dump the bike. It was amazing, wasn't it? He would just cycle. And if he cycled in fast, he was great. He could cycle fast, but he couldn't stop. Now he is 18. We have a little car on our drive with L plates on it. I am, this morning I was taking him out and he was driving and I was sitting there calmly on the outside. A bit close to that car. Oh, careful. You know, and it's like, ah, oh, here we go again. Just you think you've kind of got to that place. We go, ah, oh, we can just go, let go. But he's still learning. He's still growing. And I'm still the parent going, please don't fall over. Please don't hurt yourself. Please don't hurt something else. Because this is all about, well, I'm going to explain. I'll leave that for you to think about as we read our scripture today. Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to start. And you'll think this makes no connection whatsoever. There weren't many bikes or cars around in Acts chapter 3. Here we go. Peter and John. We talked about Peter and John, two of the key disciples, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter and John looked at him intently intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked up, expectant. But Peter said, Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, 
but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by his right hand and helped him up as he did. It's important three words there. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, that wasn't good enough. Walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was a lame beggar they had seen so often at beautiful gates, they were absolutely astounded. There's a whole side note here about the fact that in the days of the temple, people who were disabled were not allowed into the court of the temple. They weren't allowed in. They were left outside. They weren't, there was a limiting. You had to be a Jew. You had to be male. You had to be um, able-bodied. And this person be left outside to beg, and there he was. The people were in amazement. They rushed out where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. An incredible story of God's miraculous power. I want to talk today about healing. I know it's a really tricky subject. It's a very emotive subject. I know there'll be many people in this room who will be going, well, I'm not sure what I think of healing. I wonder what kind of experience you've had of either giving prayer for healing or receiving prayer for healing. I wonder if you've got great stories where everything worked perfectly for you and your family. I wonder if you've ever been frustrated or even maybe angry at how things haven't worked out the way you hoped. Maybe you've been to those big events where people have big choirs and you get called to the front and people fall over and dramatic things seem to happen. You're like, wow. Or maybe you've been to the small healing on the street and there's ones and twos getting prayed for for healing. And you've seen those experiences, had those experiences, and maybe you aren't always convinced. I wonder if you're sitting here today going, oh, yeah, I've received healing in my life. I've had that experience myself. Or you've prayed for someone else to be healed and they were, and it was an amazing moment. But I wonder how you feel when we start talking about the topic of healing. I wonder if you're a little uncomfortable this morning. That's okay if you are. Can I just say that's okay? Let's be uncomfortable. We talked this year about a year of adventure. Let's do some things we've never done before. Let's be uncomfortable, but be okay with that. This story about Peter was amazing because Peter was walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You see, we talked about Peter that first week. We talked about Peter being this rock where Jesus said to Peter, you know, you're the rock which I'm going to build my church upon. And there was that moment we talked about where Jesus gave identity to Peter. As Peter recognized who Jesus was, Peter gained identity and he gained clarity and gave, given direction for his purpose in life, his destiny. And then Hannah did a brilliant job two weeks ago talking about Peter, this preacher man who Acts chapter 2 stands up and does a preach in front of thousands of people and 3,000 people get saved that day. In my book, that's always a good preach. And ask the question, you know, there's Peter. He was a man of the word of God, the Bible, and a man of the spirit. And are we people of both of those, both people of spirit and of word? Are we people who are connecting in to the word of God? Are we regularly eating on God's word? And are we regularly pursuing things of the spirit? And in the back of that, I want to come into today's topic about Peter being this healer man, this miracle man, this, this guy that did incredible things, especially in the book of Acts. 
And I want to do something today which I wouldn't normally do. I want to, I want to talk really through two different aspects of this passage. Normally as a preacher, you should always focus on one thing. Some said three. You know what? I find just getting one thing through that everyone gets hold of and works is a great move. If as a pastor, you know, someone go a year later, when you spoke on that one thing, I learned something new. It was always a great moment. But I want to do two things today, very different. I want to talk about healing through discipleship. Healing through discipleship. Because you see, through this story of Peter, I, I believe that there's something about what Jesus taught Peter in how to take place uh, you had to process the power of healing. Through discipleship, Peter watched Jesus at work, see miracles happen. Peter then stepped into praying for the sick and seeing miracles happen. There was a process of mentorship, of discipleship, of seeing and then doing. In its simplest form, and I know there's some very clever people in this room, and you'll go, see, this is, you'll make it too simplistic. Some of you will know my middle name is Paul. If you think about it, my wife said to me when we first met, wouldn't it be funny if your middle name was Paul? Then you'd be Sim Paul. <laughs> my middle name is Paul. <laughs> you can either take it as a burden to carry or something to celebrate. I think I'm going to celebrate the fact, let's keep life simple. So here we go, discipleship. Level one of discipleship is this. I do, you watch. I do, you watch. It's a simple process. You know, you I had to teach my, the same son we mentioned earlier, he's getting a lot of grief today because he's not here. I had to teach him how to connect a hose pipe to wash the new car. And I'm thinking, how do you get to 18 and never, ever know how to connect a hose pipe? I was hitting myself as a parent going, you're rubbish. But here's how it works. I do something, you watch it. I drive the car, Zach watches me drive the car. Level two is you do, I watch. Now it's his turn to drive the car. And I watch. And level three, and this is a bit of discipleship I think we often miss out upon, is you do and someone else watches. Underline that, someone else watches. You see, I think what we often do with discipleship is I have a skill, a gift, a talent, an ability to do something, whatever it might be. And I, I, it's a work role. I, I know how to I don't know, mow the lawn or I know how to uh, fill shelves at the supermarket or I know how to fill in a spreadsheet with certain numbers. And I, I get someone alongside me and I teach them how to do what I do. That's part one and two of discipleship. But the bit where the discipleship really works is the person you have been training then trains someone else. And if they do it successfully, even better. That's where discipleship comes in. And I want to point out how this works for Jesus and Peter on this subject of healing. Level one, Jesus did, Peter watched. Jesus did, Peter watched. So many stories, I've taken a couple here, but I reckon Peter was there, he was taking notes, he was kind of wide-eyed, go, wow. One of the first things that Jesus did on meeting Peter was he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house because she's not well. And it says in, in um, Luke 4, everyone begged, please heal her. See, my theory is that she was an amazing cook. That's my theory. She's an amazing cook. Because you don't say, please heal somebody. Or maybe she was just a nag bag. And she's like moaning about her illness. They go, please just heal her, Jesus. Because we just had enough of her moaning. I don't know what was going on, but Jesus walks into the house and there's Peter with his mother-in-law. There's loads of jokes we could say about mother-in-laws. We won't go there. But he gets there with Jesus and Jesus takes her by the hand and she's healed and she makes everyone food. 
You watch how many times in Scripture people are healed and then food's involved. There's a whole other conversation there about healing and food. But Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter is in the room going, wow, I have never seen anything like that before. Jesus does. Peter watches. Matthew chapter five, uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, Jesus is met by a leader of the local synagogue, a guy called Jairus. He said, Jesus, will you come to my house? My daughter is extremely ill. She is 12 years old and she is dying. Will you come and make her better? So Jesus agrees to go to Jairus' house. And on the way there, the crowd's like, wow, something's going to happen. Everyone pressing in and everyone's pushing around Jesus. And Peter's there probably acting like a bit of a bodyguard. Back off. Back off. This is Jesus. Back off. I don't have a little earpiece and glasses. I don't know or something. But they're there going along the streets when suddenly Jesus stops and says, somebody just touched me. And Peter, who's in the room, in the moment, at the place, watching Jesus at work, goes, Jesus, come on. There are people squashing you. They are all around you. What do you mean someone touched you? Of course, everyone's touching you. He said, no, the power just left me. And there's this awkward but lovely moment where Jesus looks around and a lady guiltily puts her hand up and says, yes, it was me. I've been bleeding for 12 years. Another theological debate in your connect groups about 12 years of a little girl dying and 12 years of somebody bleeding. You can get into all of that if you want to. But she touches the hem of Jesus' cloak. And as she does that, she's healed. And Peter's there watching going, wow, there was no prayer. There was no laying on of hands. What just happened? And they carry on down the road. This is all happening as they're walking through the streets. And the servants of Jairus comes to meet him and says, there's no point bringing Jesus. The girl is dead. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. This ain't over. And there's this lovely thing that happens. If you look at this in Mark chapter 5, he tells everyone to get out of the room. Apart from Peter and two other disciples and the mum and the dad. And he says to this girl who's lying there on this bed, apparently dead, he says, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Peter was in the room when that happened. And if you want to go through level one of discipleship, for Jesus to do the, the activity, the healing, and for Peter to watch, you have to be in the room. And if you want to complete level one discipleship, if you want to learn something from someone else, you can't do it at a distance. Podcasts are great. Videos are good. Books are fantastic. But let me tell you, the best way to learn from someone else is get in the room. Walk alongside them. Go sit in the car with them. Okay, can I come with you next time you go and do something? I want to learn from you. You need to be in the room. Level one, discipleship. Level two, Peter did and Jesus watched. There's this moment where Jesus sends out the disciples. Some uh, gospels say 70, 72. But Peter was in the mix of those disciples. He sends them out in Luke 10. It says here, and says, heal the sick, he says. The kingdom of God is near now. He sends them in pairs. Off you go. Take nothing with you. Go and be a blessing to the towns and villages around and go and heal the sick. And they come back at the back end of Luke 10. They come back and they joyfully report to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. He says, yes, I love this. He says, yeah, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Yeah, you did pretty good. It's this amazing moment. And then he goes on and says, Jesus was filled with joy 
of the Holy Spirit. He said, O Father, Lord of heaven, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, for revealing them to the childlike, i.e. his disciples. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Peter did. Jesus watched. And I'm sure there was a moment where Peter came back with joyful excitement about all the things that happened. And Jesus took him to one side and said, let's have a little conversation about how you're doing and how you think you're doing and how great you think you are and how you need to learn to think before you open your mouth. Let's have that conversation, Peter. Because level two of discipleship is always about assessing. People say you learn through experience. It's not true. How many people know somebody who's had a bad experience and then does it again? You don't learn through experience. Because I can give you lists and lists and lists of times where people have not learned through experience. You learn through assessed experience. You learn when you stop and you say, what am I doing as a parent that could do better next time? What am I doing as a husband or as a wife that I could do better next time? What do I do when I preach on a Sunday and then the Monday morning I think, you know what, I could do better with that next time. We don't learn through experience. We learn through assessed experience. And if you want to be somebody who moves through the level of discipleship of not just someone who does, but someone who grows, we need to assess what we do. You have to get feedback. You have to find feedback. Speak to people. Don't always speak to your friends. Friends are great, but sometimes they're just too nice. They go, oh, you did, you did great. You were amazing. You hit it out of the park. You bossed it, whatever the lay line is. They say these lovely things to you, which they mean well. But you need somebody who's going, yeah, you did pretty good. But let's just talk about this piece or this aspect. And you know they're for you. We're just in the middle of doing our staff appraisals at the moment. Anyone here do staff appraisals at work? Anyone here, hands up if you love staff appraisals? <laughs> just my hand up. Okay, you know, I think it's a really important part, a process of developing your, your staff team, of those who are working with you. I think it's a really important part of discipleship, of sitting down with somebody. And really, it's a structured conversation. I say to my team, this is not um, some sort of formal appointment. This is not about getting you sacked or something. This is about us going, are you growing? Are you developing? Are, do you feel called to do what you're doing today? How can we assess what you're doing? How can I encourage you, resource you, develop you further in what God's called you to do? It should be a really positive experience. And so we may, may spend time with all of our staff appraisal. Hannah's got hers tomorrow. You all right, Hannah? Jim had his hit last week, and I had mine last week, and we're both still here, so that's all good. But appraisals and spending time and learning from each other is really important. Level one, Jesus did, Peter watched. Peter was in the room. Level two, Peter did, Jesus watched. You have to get feedback. And level three, Peter did. Others watched. And here's the thing about level three, which is really important. There comes a point in discipleship where the person who started the process of discipleship has to step out of the room. Otherwise, I would still be walking along behind my 18-year-old son, holding his fingers, going, you're all right, Zach, you can walk, I'll hold you. Or he goes on a bike ride, I'll be the one running along beside him, holding the saddle, which will be awkward, the bike's massive. And there'll come a point where he'll pass his driving test. And it wouldn't be right for me to sit in the passenger seat saying, left a bit, son, left a bit, careful, watch that car. He has to go on. And one day, 
and this is important, one day he will need to teach someone else how to walk. Hold my hands. We'll be okay. We'll do a bike ride. I'll hold the saddle. And can I say, without upsetting anyone in the room here, it's really inappropriate sometimes when grandparents say, I'll do all that for you. I'll help your son, my grandson, grandchild. I'll help them walk. I'll help them on the bike. I'll help them pass their driving test. I'll help them proceed into life. Actually, no, it's our responsibility to pass it from generation to generation, to train people, to train people, to train people, to train people. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we go, no, don't, you know, don't, let's not have a connect. I, let me be the only pastor and preacher in this church. I'll be the only person that teaches you how to work, how to perform, how to be great followers of Jesus Christ. My job is to train, develop people so they can train, develop people, so they can train, develop people. Because this is a movement we are part of, not some kind of gang that I want to control and, and limit to my own ability. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? This is an important moment where Peter does and Jesus steps back. It's quite a difficult moment. I don't really want my son to fall off his bike. I don't want him really to go off driving off the drive without me next to him. But it's important. And someone did it for you in your history. So Peter does, does sorry, Peter does or did. Others watch. Level three, Acts chapter three, we've read about the lame beggar outside the beautiful gate. Amazing moment. As he took the hand, as he lifted him up, then, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, then he was healed. Acts chapter 5 is an incredible passage in Acts chapter 5, there, 12 to 16. It tells a story about when Peter walks through the streets of Jerusalem. His shadow touches the sick and they are healed. It wouldn't work in England, would it? Not much shadow. But there, there's lots of shadows in Jerusalem. And people would bring out their sick on their beds and drag them out onto the streets and thought, if Peter walks past and just his shadow... I mean, if you're not comfortable about healing, this is a whole thing that will mess with your head. Seriously, how does that work? I have no idea. I'm sorry if you thought I was the fount of all knowledge. I don't know, but that would be awesome, wouldn't it? To walk through Romsey and my shadow. <laughs> Hospitals closed because Sim's shadow. That would be amazing. I feel like a sort of superhero shadow passing through. But that's what happened in Acts chapter 5. They were all healed. In Acts chapter 9. There's a lovely moment where um, a guy called Enos is uh, met. He's been uh, paralyzed for, and bedridden for eight years. And, and, and Peter goes up to him and said, Enos says this, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat and walk. Does that sound familiar to you? Oh, yeah, there was that story, wasn't there, where Jesus saw a man come through the roof. And Jesus, your sins have, have been forgiven. Now get up, roll up your mat and walk. Peter's like, I've seen this before. I know how this works. I watched Jesus do it. I had a go and he talked me through and I messed it up the first time. And, and now I think I, I could do it as well. Or later, Acts chapter 9, verses 36, a lady called Tabitha rises from the dead. She was someone always doing kind things for others, helping the poor, and she became ill and died. The believers heard that Peter was nearby, so they sent men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. Peter returns with them, and as soon as he arrived, he took them to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and shouting and showing him the coats and other clothes that Dorcas had made for them. Watch this. Peter asked them all to leave. 
Sound familiar? Out, out the room. Because I've watched Jesus do this. And when, and when, and when he healed the, Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, he got everyone to leave the room. And here's another person who's, died, who's dead and he's lying in the bed and where people are moaning and groaning and, and grieving. Out, out the room. God's about to work. And he turns the body. He said, get up, Tabitha. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Peter's doing what he's already seen take place. He's repeating what Jesus did before him. You have to pass it on. Level three discipleship, you have to pass it on. If you carry something of what God's got a purpose in your life, it is your responsibility to pass it on to someone else. And to ensure they have been suitably uh, trained and developed so they can pass it on to someone else. That's what we're about. It is not good enough for me just to, the next 20, 30, whatever it is, lead this church within my own ability and make sure everyone stays like, like small children. And my job is to develop you, encourage you, resource you, support you, disciple you so you can do the same for other people. So they can do the same for other people. Are we hearing what's going on here? That's how movements take place. We create movement through discipleship. Level one, Jesus did, Peter watched. Level two, Peter did, Jesus watched. Level three, Peter did, others watched. That's how it works. You getting all this? Anyone going, what's this got to do with healing, Sim? No? Well, if you were asking the question, now is the moment. It's our turn. We've just read about Jesus, what he did. We've heard about Peter and what he did. Now it's our turn. So I, I want to activate some healing in this room this morning. I don't know what you came with this morning. I don't know how full of faith you are this morning. But I'm up for God working miracles in this place. Because the God I believe in isn't the God just of the Bible who just kept the, the miracles there. I, I'm not a cessationist. That means somebody thinks that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit have stopped I believe that the God who healed 2,000 years ago heals today. I believe the God that healed thousands of years ago heals today. And, you, and, and yes, I, I can tell you some times where it hasn't worked. I can tell you through all kinds of disappointments and moments where it has. And I know this, if I never pray, God will never heal. If I do pray, sometimes God heals. So, so mathematically, I'm just going to go, for, I'm going to pray for anything and everyone. If you ever ask me, can, will you pray for me? The answer will always be yes. So it's a weird question when someone says, oh, should we pray? Well, yeah, of course we're going to pray. We need to activate some healing. What is interesting here is um, in Acts chapter 5, where Peter walks through the streets and his shadow touches people either side, well, one side of the street, I guess, and they walk alongside and, and people are getting healed. What's amazing if you look at Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, is just before that in verse 11, it says this. There's a whole story about Ananias and Sapphira. Some of you be familiar with that story. And there was a moment where quite a tragic thing happened and quite an extreme um, moment happened in the early church. And it says this, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Fear was sandwiched either side of the healing. Verse 17, just after we have this piece about Peter walking through the street, shadow healing people, um, Acts 5.17, there was opposition. The high priest, his officials who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. When people talk about healing, there's always a sandwich between fear and opposition. When I start talking about healing, there'll be those who'll be like, oh, I'm a bit afraid of what that might mean. 
And there'll be some who react and go, well, I'm not sure if I'm really comfortable with that. I, I want to come against that. Can I encourage us this morning to respond, not with fear, but with faith? And be people of faith. And not respond with opposition, but support, encouragement. That we are for each other. A couple of weeks ago, you know that I was at an event called Spring Harvest. And, and each week at Spring Harvest, we do a couple of evenings where we have this kind of healing and Holy Spirit night. And it's like completely, like, let's just get, let's get a bit of mayhem going. And I was leading this evening, uh, particularly with a, a lady called Anne Calver, who's married to Gav, who came and spoke uh, back in January here. And the two of us are leading. And how it kind of tends to work is that people come and they queue at the, at the front, at, in front of the special people, i.e. you who are leading the meeting. And you get the honor of laying on hands of, and they go, oh, that's wonderful, thanks very much. And I just, I get a bit annoyed by that sort of stuff. I'm like going, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I'm not that great. I am just a regular guy who loves Jesus and wants to see him change my world. But I, I haven't got special powers that you haven't got. We all share the same spirit. So I said, here's what we're going to do tonight. There's 500 people in the room, and there's myself and this lady, Alice. I said, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're not going to, just the two of us, pray for all of you. Logistically, we'll be here all night, and I'm knackered. So I'm going, to, I'm going to pray for other people to pray for you. We've got this 20-plus people on the prayer team, and we went and we anointed them all with oil. And I said, now go and pray for the sick. Now go and pray for people to be empowered of the Holy Spirit. And it was great watching the room take off. We don't do cues and special people and white suits and big road choirs. We are the people of God. We carry the power of the, the Spirit of God within us. You carry the same power that Jesus had when he overcame the grave. I carry that same power and so do you. Because I'm standing here on platform, I am not more special than you are. I have exactly the same spirit within me. And let's activate that spirit and believe that God heals through his spirit, not through special people and some sort of magic hands that goes on. Where did that theology ever get created from? Who idea was, oh, if we go into that particular ministry? I, don't, I understand the thinking. I think sometimes it's just a faith thing. We believe, oh, that person's got some sort of special anointing. I, I, do, I understand to a point, and it's a great conversation to have in your connect groups, but I, I believe in the same God that lives in you and I that could bring healing to those around us. We often see prayer sometimes as a last resort. You know, we try everything. And then in desperation, we go, oh, let's pray to God and see if he'll heal this situation. And I was reading just this morning, I do this thing, I read the Bible through in a year, each year. And this morning I was in Chronicles. If you've ever read Chronicles, it's a pretty much a list of kings of Israel and Judah. And it's like, oh, really, God, what can you say to me through this? Well, he did this morning. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, King Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. It does make sense. Bear with me. Through his disease, though his disease was severe, even in his illness... He did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians, the doctors. That's it. And, and the next verse, he dies. I'm not sure how long it was between the verses, but it's not a good outcome. We must be people who go to God first. I'm not saying to you for a second, don't go to use the medical professions of our day. Listen, there are some great people out there who will, who will diagnose all kinds of stuff that's going on. We need to utilize. But if you've got a headache, let's pray and take the aspirin. Is that okay? Some people do one extreme or the other. They refuse to pray until it's like, you know, such a bad migraine. Then I'll, oh, now I'll pray. Or other people, you know, they'll just pray and go, I, I, I refuse the aspirin. Jesus has healed me. I'm fine. I refuse to take any medication. I'll go, there's a bit of common sense here. But let's not go, let's, let's go to the great physician first of all. 
Let's say, God, will you heal me before I go see the doctor? As I was preparing this sermon on Friday afternoon, I get a text from a friend of mine who was meant to be coming to my house to do some electrics. He said, I can't come to your house. He's not a Christian. He said, I can't come to your house. Uh, I, I damaged my back yesterday. And, and I can't, I'm, I'm stuck, I'm lying on the, my sofa, and I'm waiting for a, a, an appointment with a chiropractor. I won't be able to come out and do any work on your house. And I thought, here am I, preparing a talk on healing. Here's a guy who I know, because he's told me before, he's an atheist, doesn't believe in a God at all. So I text him. It's always a bit weird, isn't it? I thought, do I use the emoticon for um, prayer? <laughs> that did cross my mind. I went for it in the third text, but not the first text. The first one, I went, would you mind if I prayed for you? Would you mind if I prayed for you to get better? And, and his response blew me away, because I thought he'd be like, actually, I'd rather you. I thought he'd react. He's like, that'd be amazing. Thank you so much. So I walked around my house, and I prayed for my friend Andy Crotty, and I went, I'm going to pray for you, that before you get to the chiropractor, that your back is better. You have a story of God at work in your life that blows your mind. Go, wow, what is going on? We've got to be people prepared to pray. We've got to be people prepared to pray because, you know what, God, nothing might happen. There's always a chance something will happen. And we'll only know till we're brave enough to step out and have a go. So here we go. Practical advice for you as we bring this to an end. I've written down here how to pray for healing. It's not a mystery. I think sometimes people like it being a mystery. Come see me. I'm the special mystic prayer of healing. Really? got a glass ball or something. It's no, no, this is about us participating in the plans and purposes of God. It's really straightforward. How do I pray for healing? Now listen, this is a, this is a day's worth of seminar you're getting in about the next three minutes. Are you ready? You ready? There's loads more we could go into here. Number one, when you pray for somebody, ask their name. When I was suffering from a severe illness, um, I had somebody pray for me who kept calling me James. I, 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 was, I started giggling. He thought I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I just thought it was really funny. Um, but here's the funniest bit. I got healed. Maybe there's something in the power of the name of James. I don't know, but I would suggest not. <clears throat> and that's a whole other story, healing from Crohn's disease. Um, we haven't got time for that today, but God's been very kind to me and my family. And we've also had to suffer some loss and tragedy and disappointment along the way and I could gloss this up and I, or I can make this sound terrible but there's a reality we have to walk between those two extremes but number one you're praying for someone ask their name find out who they are find out what's going on the diagnosis what's the problem don't assume because somebody has a walking stick or a wheelchair doesn't mean they want prayer for healing for them to be able to walk it may be they've got something else that needs support or help with never assume anything ask the question what is it I can pray for be exact. Be exact. When you pray for healing, let's be focused. So find out the name. Find out what it, exactly what it is. How long it's been going on for. It's intriguing, that whole thing in Mark with the 12 years of suffering, the 12 years. You know, be exact. Find out some details. Why did it happen? Where, was it, where did it first occur? And then this is the really important bit, number three. Ask the Holy Spirit for direction. This is the, this if there is a, magic ingredient this is the one don't slap your hands on start praying without going God what do you want to do here what do you want to say what is it going to unlock this situation what is a word a phrase a a thought that's going to change this situation help me 
You can do it out loud. You can do it inside. You can pray in tongues, whatever you want to do. But ask the Spirit of God to direct how you should pray. There are different ways of praying. Ask for guidance. And number four, pray. I know you're shocked it's on the list, but it is. Number four, pray. Pray for them. A couple of really basic comments here. Can I make this? Number one, pray with confidence. Don't go, dear Lord, if you wouldn't mind, it'd be really lovely if you could. It's been a bit awkward recently. This poor person hasn't had much success. But if you could have a go, that'd be great. Peter said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up, walk. Be confident in your prayer. because Not because of who you are, because of who he is. We're praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Number two, keep your prayers short. There is no proof, no theological evidence that longer prayers are more successful than shorter prayers. If you, if you know of them, come and tell me, but make sure you keep the conversation short. Because I think you can pray briefly. God knows what is going on. Be short, be, uh, be contained, what you're saying. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. Be kind to the person you're praying for. Make them feel comfortable, make them feel loved, make them feel that they are they're glad they came forward for prayer or stood up for prayer. Keep your eyes open. This is really good advice, by the way, if you're not sure. To, take notes if I was you, but keep your eyes open. You're praying for someone, your eyes closed, and suddenly you look down, they're not there anymore. They've, they've crumbled in a heap, or something's like falling over, and you're like, oh, probably should have had my eyes open. Have your eyes open. Sometimes you can see that God's doing something in their lives. Something's happening. Keep your eyes open. Watch what's going on. And, and practically... Um, please don't touch people unless it's appropriate to do so and in the appropriate places. Can I say that? We're amongst adults here. Think about what you do and ask permission. Is it okay to put my hand on your shoulder? If someone's got a particular, um, a particular ailment and it might be appropriate to lay hands, got an ankle problem, then lay hands on the ankle. Do, do that. But ask permission first of all because it might be very sore. The last thing they want you doing is putting your hands on something that's extremely sore. Can I just suggest that? Just put your eyes open, ask the question, would you mind if I do that? Be careful, be appropriate, love people. And last thing is this, um, the response. When you finish praying, don't just walk away. Right, done now, see you later, bye, next week, bye. Just spend a moment going, how's that? Do you feel any better? Is anything changed? Anything going on? Find out if anything's happening. If it is, would you like me to carry on praying for you? Sometimes people use like a grading system of, you know, your pain, was it you know, 0 to 10 or it was an 8? What is it now? It's, it's a 4. Great, something's going on. If that works for you, then, then, then do that. But find a way of saying, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Shall we carry on? And if there is nothing going on, then say, I'll carry on praying for you, either now or in my own time. I'll commit to supporting that person in prayer. It doesn't all finish that moment in time. And please be encouraging. Don't accuse them of a lack of faith or a history of sin. You laugh. Please don't. People do. Basically what it means is my prayer didn't work and I either have to take responsibility or blame you. I'll blame you. It's your fault. We don't do that here. We love people. Didn't happen this time. We'll keep praying. We love you. We'll encourage you. Bring the best out of people. And if they are healed, encourage people to tell their story. Tell their story. Tell somebody what God has done in their lives. It's really important. And if they are on any kind of medication, say, please continue your medication. Go speak to your doctor and ask him whether it's okay or ask her whether it's okay to finish your medication. It's really important. Do go through that process. 
And um, let's, so anyway, how's that? Practical? Good. Let's get the worship team back up then. This is where it gets messy. And everyone thinks, how can I pretend to be the one that has to do the coffee today? So here's what we're going to do. You're not going to come forward for prayer. If you need healing today, I want to encourage you to stand up where you are. I know this is a brave thing to do and it's awkward and uncomfortable, but if you need healing today, stand up where you are. I just want to be really straight. I want to, for the sake of time, let's just crack on with this and say, if you need healing, physical healing, let's stand up where you are. Wow, fantastic. Great. Good. Let's see some healing in the place. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.